Hey everyone, Mundo here. If you would like to support the show, please head to patreon.com slash crimeandcourtusa. What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode 23 of Crime and Court USA. I'm recording this on October 13th, 2021. I'm your host, Mundo Carrillo. Hope you guys are doing well. Man, have you all been watching that Squid Game on Netflix? It's apparently Netflix's most popular show, so I assume probably maybe all of you guys have seen it at this point. I mean, dang. Netflix has had some popular shows and for this one to be the most popular pretty darn good and this show is darn good it's a show from South Korea it's kind of like a Hunger Games kind of survival game kind of show I didn't want to go too far into it but it is dope it is so dope you know with that with uh with Train to Busan which is a zombie movie that came out in 2016 out of Korea well out of South Korea oh we all, we all know which Korea we're talking about here not the communist dictatorship anyways Train to Busan 2016 best zombie movie I've ever seen hands down Parasite which is a dope movie I think that was what 2018 it won the Oscar for best picture also super dope and now this show which is probably it might be the best show I've seen on Netflix as far as Netflix originals and I was a big Stranger Things guy before this as far as it being Netflix's best show but even one season of Squid Game it might be it might be my favorite Netflix show ever really super dope these South Koreans are on a roll man if you guys have any suggestions on any other kind of South Korean content I should watch, please, please, please let me know. My beloved Los Angeles Chargers are on a roll, 4-1 in the AFC West, leading the division. They look like they're probably the best team in the division. Hopefully, they win the division, make the playoffs, maybe get a first round bye. I don't know. It's a little early to tell, but they're looking good. So hopefully, they keep it up. They have the Ravens this weekend, and the Ravens are tough. I mean, they, they, have, that, they have that huge win Monday night of the Colts and OT, so I don't know. I'm looking, maybe that one will be a loss, but the rest of the schedule's looking good. The schedule's looking really good, actually. I think they're better than most of the teams they play the rest of the year, besides maybe the Ravens, so yeah, I, I like their chances. All right, let's move on to some news here. I have a lot of crime. Actually, this, this show is just jam-packed with crime news, which I know you guys love. You guys don't like it when I talk about the Supreme Court and stuff. Y'all are like, boring, and I get it, talking about, you know, court documents and stuff. It, I understand. Y'all y'all want your crime. So I'm giving you what you guys want, okay? First off, let's start off with news out of Wyoming, where a Wyoming coroner has found that Gabby Petito died by strangulation. And he added that her body was in the wilderness for up to three to four weeks. So on Tuesday, October 12th, the coroner, Dr. Brent Blue, out of Teton County, Wyoming, held a press conference via Zoom. Um, he, again, he confirmed that Gabby's death was caused by strangulation and ruled and confirmed that the death was a homicide, meaning that she was killed by someone else. So someone else strangled her, basically. But he didn't really say much else beyond that. He said he couldn't comment on much. Again, it was a press conference, so a lot of reporters asked questions. He didn't really answer a whole lot. Also, public or uh, autopsies aren't public record in Wyoming, so we likely won't know more about the autopsy. That's kind of weird. They're, they're public record in New Mexico where I, where I did reporting. So I don't know if I was a journalist in Wyoming, I might lobby the state legislature to get that changed. But anyhow, they're not public records. So we'll just have to, that's it. I guess we're just gonna, we're not probably not gonna know more. The coroner 
just said she died by strangulation and didn't say much else. We might know more if, if someone gets charged in her death and it goes to trial. We might know more through the trial about her injuries and stuff. We're probably going to have to, right? They're going to have to convince the jury that whoever did it, did it. So we might learn more then. That's probably a ways out if charges get filed in her death anyway. Gabby's body was found September 19th. So as the coroner said, he assumes she was out there for three to four weeks. So that would put her death at about uh, mid to late August, which is very unfortunate. It's very sad. She and her fiance, Brian Laundrie, encountered police in Utah on August 12th. So she died not long after that, unfortunately. That fiance, Brian Laundrie, is charged with fraudulently, fraudulently, that's kind of a hard word to say, fraudulently using a debit card that belonged to Gabby. He is now considered a person of interest in Gabby's death and is still missing. He just seems to have disappeared off the face of the earth. No one knows where he's at. Not even his parents, apparently. So the two of them, they were engaged. They left New York on a cross-country trip earlier this summer, and they documented their visits to national parks out in the West on social media. Gabby was actually nearly charged with domestic battery during that uh, that incident with police on August 12th after they found that... um that she was hitting Brian and Brian had some marks on him to kind of confirm that they were about to charge her but that would have been a big old headache for her and she was like a tiny little 22 year old woman you know what I mean so they didn't really want to charge her with domestic battery but instead they decided to separate them for the night obviously if you watch that video there, there's police video of it as public now you, you can watch it pretty much anywhere there are clearly some issues there clearly they're not happy with each other and again it's so unfortunate knowing that she died not long after that was strangled Ugh, man it's heartbreaking and of course, Brian had, uh, he had returned home. Well, he, he, again, they left New York, but he actually went to Florida where his parents lived and Gabby was nowhere, nowhere to be found. Of course, she was reported missing and then they later uh, found her body. And Brian, still unaccounted for, he's considered a person of interest in the death, not a suspect, but a person of interest. So there you go. And yeah, I actually watched the press conference. It was a Tuesday afternoon, as I said, and, uh, John Walsh, you know, from uh, America's Most Wanted. And I think he has a new show now, In Pursuit with John Walsh, something like that. He was basically asking the coroner. Again, this guy's a coroner, not not law enforcement, not an officer, not a detective. John Walsh was asking, you know, is there any doubt in your mind that this is Brian Laundrie? And the coroner was like, I I can't answer that. That's for law enforcement. And he asked him again, something like the same thing later on. Like the police have said Brian Laundrie is a person of interest. You know, do you believe that Brian Laundrie killed her. And he's like, I can't answer that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Again, sorry, John Walsh. I don't know why you're asking the coroner, like who he thinks the person, who he thinks the, the murderer was or whatever. Like, And there were some other goofy questions during that press conference too. I respect TV reporters, man. <laughs> I worked alongside them out in the field a lot of the time when I was a newspaper reporter and we were all kind of going to the same press conferences and to the same scenes and stuff like that. And I was actually an intern at a TV station in Albuquerque. So I know how hard they work. You know, they're good people, but man, TV reporters, y'all ask the dumbest questions at press conference some, sometimes. I'm sorry. Someone's got to say it. I don't know why I said all that, to just to take a stab at TV reporters, but y'all, like, someone's got to say it, man. I'm sorry. I've been holding that one in for a while. Anyway, so yeah, that's big news there. Gabby Petito strangled. Yeah, we'll, we'll know more. I don't know. I mean, I believe Brian's the only person of interest in this case. So until he's found, I mean, I don't know where this case is going to progress. So they're probably going to find him. If they find him, they're going to question him. And then after that, he'll turn into a suspect and possibly be charged. Again, he is facing uh, some charges already for fraudulently using Gabby's debit card. All right, let's move on to the next story. 
A convicted serial killer who lured vulnerable women on social media was sentenced to 160 years in prison. And a lot of this information I got from the New York Times. Khalil Wheeler Weaver, which that Wheeler Weaver, it's like hyphenated. It's that's really hard to say. That's, you know, those two last names are almost like too similar. It's like, just pick one at this point, right? <laughs> Anyways, Khalil Wheeler Weaver, who was a security guard in Orange, New Jersey, was convicted of killing three women in New Jersey between August and November 2016 and was found guilty of kidnapping and trying to kill a fourth woman. And Wheeler Weaver is now 25 and he was only 20 years old when he committed these acts. And the cool thing about this story, well, I don't know if it's cool, but um, I guess one of the interesting things about this story is that one of his victim's friends actually did their own kind of detective work and actually helped the real detectives make an arrest in this case. So Wheeler Weaver met Sarah Butler, a New Jersey City University student, and strangled her in November 2016. They had met on Tagged, which is a social media site I had never heard of before this, where he went by the, the name Little Yacht Rock. They met in November on November 22nd, 2016. That's when she died, and her body was found on December 1st, 2016, at the Eagle Rock Reservation in West Orange, New Jersey. Now, one of Sarah's friends, Samantha Rivera, knew Sarah's computer password. This, this, this is after she was missing, right? They didn't know where Sarah was, so... Samantha, she knew uh, Sarah's computer password and was able to log onto her social media accounts. And she found that Wheeler Weaver, again, a hard last name to keep saying, was the last person she spoke with before she disappeared. So Rivera, being the sleuth that she is, created a tagged account. And within an hour, Wheeler Weaver began messaging her and was pressing her to meet with him. So Rivera agreed to meet with him at a Panera Bread. And she also, before that, she contacted the cops and said, hey, maybe we should, maybe you should be there as well. So the cops were also there. And when they all met up, Wheeler Weaver was questioned about Sarah's disappearance by the cops, but he wasn't arrested right away because the body hadn't been found. But he was arrested shortly after the body was found. Now, again, Wheeler Weaver had a total of three murder victims and a fourth victim that he tried, that he kidnapped and tried to kill. And the authorities say that he tortured and strangled women who were poor, homeless, mentally ill, or engaged in sex work. Police found that he would search online for drugs that would put women to sleep, as well as for homemade poisons. God damn, Bill Cosby. They also found body fluid cleanup kit, uh, zip ties, and lighter fluid in the trunk of the car where he assaulted Tiffany Taylor in November 2016. Miss Taylor was kidnapped, but was able to escape by slipping out of the handcuffs that he placed her in and locking him out of the hotel room and it's very sad she said in court that since the attacks that she does not even wear makeup and just does not trust anyone at all and after wheeler weaver murdered 19 year old robin west in september 2016 he set fire to the body and the abandoned house where he left her her body was so badly charred that she had to be identified through dental records now wheeler weaver he has maintained his innocence and said during his sentencing hearing that he was actually set up by the district attorney's office. So I got to find, let me find the source here. Yeah, NorthJersey.com. This was actually the first uh, news outlet to report on the friend's involvement in helping crack the case. Very, very good stuff. So go check it out. NorthJersey.com. I'll leave a link in the, in the description, actually. So yeah, very, very interesting stuff. I wonder if my friends would start investigating if I just went missing. Probably not. <laughs> They'd probably be like, damn, Mundo's dead. That fool owed me money. All right. Let's move on to the final story of the day. This one I got from, I mostly got from the Durango Herald. A Colorado man was sentenced to the maximum of 48 years in prison 
for killing his 13-year-old son during a court-ordered visit in 2012. 60-year-old Mark Redwine was found guilty of second-degree murder and child abuse resulting in death for killing his son, Dylan Redwine, after a trial that took place in July of this year. The details of this case are pretty messed up, so this is your fair warning right now. Prosecutors say uh, Dylan, the, the son, found photos of Mark dressed in women's lingerie and eating what appeared to be feces out of a diaper, and this threw Mark into a rage. And so Mark killed Dylan in the living room of his house, and later on Mark cut off Dylan's head so that the body couldn't have been identified and left the body and the head in the rugged mountains near his house to be scavenged by animals. So he lived in Vallecito, which is northeast of Durango, Colorado, which is in southwest Colorado, just north of New Mexico. So this is actually something that uh, New Mexico media covered. I, I, I was following, I followed this story for years and years. And uh, yeah, first it was a missing person story, then it became a murder story and so on. So partial remains of Dylan's body were not found until June 2013. Then Dylan's skull was found by hikers in November 2015, about a mile and a half from where the body was found. And forensic experts testified at the trial that the skull had knife marks on it. That's right, Scoob. We're dealing with one sick son of a bitch. And Mark was finally indicted in July of 2017 and was arrested in Washington State. Uh, he was a truck driver, so, you know, he was all over the place. It looks like the judge actually laid into Mark Redwine pretty hard for not showing any remorse during this uh during the trial and, and everything else. That's that's actually, remorse is a big thing that's brought up a lot. You know, prosecutors use it when they try to get someone, you know, the maximum sentence after a conviction. Like, he has shown no remorse. And then the judge kind of lays into people for not showing remorse. And re remorse is a, is a big, big thing when it comes to criminal trials. It I don't know, I guess if you show more remorse, the judge is more likely to give you a lighter sentence. I'm not sure, but it's it's always a big thing during criminal trial. And like I said, the judge just laid into him for not showing any remorse. You know, I like sentencing hearings a lot, as I've said before on this podcast. You know, you get a lot of color because you get the victim's family, they, they get to say a word. It's like they get a lot of color, you get a lot of emotion, you, you just get a lot of good stuff during a sentencing hearing. What you also get is the judge just laying into people because this is the first time the judge actually gets to say what they want to say. You know, they got to remain, uh, you know, just unbiased like a referee you know, during the whole trial, this is their first chance to tell the defendant what they want to say. And sometimes they just lay into them, you know. I've heard judges call people a monster and to call them evil and, and stuff like that. So yeah, sentencing hearings, always, always really good. But, um, well, you know what I mean? From a reporter standpoint, it's good for the, for the victims and family. They're, they're terrible. I'm sure unless you get the maximum sentence, in which case Mark Redwine did. And apparently Mark has maintained his innocence and he, he has said that that's why he has shown no remorse because he did not commit this crime. He says he, is, he has shown remorse, remorse for the crimes he has committed, but he will not for this one because he did not commit this one. So we'll see if this one or the last story with Mr. Uh, Wheeler Weaver, if they plan to appeal any of these convictions, I'm not sure. I didn't read anything that they did, but if they both maintain their innocence. I'm sure they might. I mean, I don't know. We'll see. We will see on all that. Anyways, that is about it for this week, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Please check out the pages on Twitter at Crime and Court. Also got a, f a Facebook page at Crime and Court USA. Check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash Crime and Court USA. Throw me a few bucks a month if you can. I would greatly appreciate that. Share the podcast with your friends. Share it with your enemies. Again, right now, I'm just really trying to grow the audience. So if you could help me out with that, man, to spread the word of Crime and Court USA, I would greatly 
greatly appreciate that. But as you guys know, I just appreciate you guys tuning in, man. I really do. Also, if you could leave a nice review on iTunes, that would be great. Apparently that helps, you know, get the podcast in front of more people, more people could find it, so on and so forth. Until next time, guys, my name is Mundo and I'm out. Peace.